Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Any good stories from the road? Pipe up. I wish we'd gotten seen a little bit more out of our punter. I'm starting to puke. It makes my stomach hurt. Yeah. I thought he was going to die. I'm starting to throw up in my mouth a little bit. He's on the probiotics. Is Georgia playing the 1985 Bears this weekend or what? A lot of Todd, Todd, Todd talk. That poison proof. They're mongeese. We will not be hunted at the University of Georgia. I can promise you that. The hunting that we do will be done from us going the other direction. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, guys. Uh, I was wondering, after I made that to start last week, a certain point in the game, I started to think, man, people are really going to hate that new intro. They're going to blame me. All the superstitious Looney Tunes out there are going to start throwing their stones my way. Jake, uh, welcome back from Missouri. Can't wait to hear all about the trip. Palmer, we spoke, it feels like, uh, five minutes ago. We were talking so late after that game last night. Um, but let's start with you, Jake. You were actually at the game. How'd your trip go? Did you have a good, uh, safe flight, enjoyable trip out there, and all the things that went with that trip to St. Well, Louis uh, and Columbia? As we talked about before the show, I had too much fun on Friday night. I went to the Cardinals game, saw Albert Pujols hit 701. Uh, that was incredible. Have uh, you hung been out. to a game there before? Yes, yeah, my second time. Um, hung out with our guys from over at Dog Nation. You know, we're a tight-knit beat. We love each other. Uh, and I hung out with Brandon Adams and Connor Riley, uh, Jordan uh, Hill from over at uh, Dogs 24-7, Old Stomping Grounds. We had a blast, absolute blast. Um, I had the most fun of anybody. Uh, and, and because of that, I had the least fun on Saturday of anybody. But that's okay. Um, I've got, I, I did get a whole, like, 90 minutes sleep uh, since Friday night, so that's been pretty good. 
Um, but no, it was, it was a cool thing. I always love doing this trip. I mean, even, even in the middle of it, when I'm like, I hate this trip, I'm, I'm always glad I did it. Uh, just because I do, I do enjoy St. Louis. I do, I have, you know, been there enough times that I've kind of established some spots that I really like. And then, um, you know, as far as the game goes, man, I tell you what, uh, Georgia went into that game. It looked like with just determined to get that crowd into it because that's exactly what they did. And it didn't take long credit, credit to Missouri fans. It was a lazy late arriving crowd. You know, I talked to some people before the game, uh, you know, went downtown Columbia for a minute or two and, and got a bite to eat before the game. And, uh, you know, there were fans there. Hey, how bad is Georgia going to beat them? How bad's you know, this? And I was like, I don't know, man, it's football. Anything can happen. Anything happen on the road. Uh, but I fully expected Georgia to cover. And then all of a sudden, you know, Georgia comes out there three and out on the opening drive, fumble on the second drive. That crowd's raucous, man. That crowd was getting into it. And, uh, you know, credit to Georgia. I know a lot of people are going to focus on the final score and the fact that Georgia's just not blowing everybody out right now. But credit to Georgia for being exactly what it needed to be in the fourth quarter of that game because that's not always easy to do. I don't care how good you are as a football team, knowing getting down to that last few opportunities and being exactly what you need to be to get a win is not an easy thing to do, and Georgia did that. Uh, we have all the post-game sound from the game on our YouTube channel, Dogs HQ. If you're watching this on a replay, mash that subscribe button and uh, check out everything we have to offer from Kirby Smart, Stetson Bennett, Brock Bauer, Cedric Van Pran, Nolan Smith. You got a good crop of uh, dogs there, Jake. But let's start off with what Coach Smart had to say, uh, just summing up his thoughts on that game. Start very well and start in very good field position, but – Look, I couldn't be prouder of our guys. At halftime, nobody blinked, nobody questioned. It was the most together I've ever seen our team. And uh, the theme this entire week was do it for your brother and do it for each other. And I thought they hung tight and did that. Now, with that said, there's a ton of things to clean up and a lot to get better. And I would be remiss if I didn't give Eli, his team, uh, the Missouri Tigers, the atmosphere they had tonight, uh, uh, some kudos too. They played really physical, really hard and uh, whipped our butt up front. Um, but I'm proud of the way our guys played. And when we had to run it, it's about the only time we could run it when we had to. You know, the whole theme of this Sunday night show is we've had, you know, at least 24 hours in some cases to sit on a final score, let the things uh, take shape in the rest of the college football landscape. We got that out of our system, the instant reaction last night, Palmer and I did. But both of you guys have had a chance to react and – uh, just kind of let this one simmer a little bit. Palmer, I'll start with you. What have you learned about this game that we didn't touch on last night? Man, I, I can't even remember what we touched on last we night. We did have a show played. last night. I do I, I know. remember doing it it. it. it was a fever dream. You know, just just felt like we were working. I mean, I, I hit submit on my last article at 2.30 in the morning. So, um you know, didn't didn't have to travel like Jake, but I'm running on fumes too. Um, you know, I I know we did talk about this last night, but I'll reiterate it um, because I, I reiterated it in Rest and React. Winning on the road in the SEC is really, really, really hard. Kirby Smart has said that. Uh, he he's, he said that in his post game uh, interview on SEC Network. Said that in the post game press conference. 
he knows these Georgia coaches know they've been around this league too long to understand that it is incredibly difficult to win on the road. And, and so winning, uh, you know, like Jake said, you know, getting rising to the occasion late in that game and, and ultimately coming away with the W incredibly important says a lot about this Georgia team. Um, but I, I do think having gone back and watched the tape, um, you know, I, 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 at least first half of it, plus some highlights from the second half, um, there is a lot that can be improved. And I know we're going to touch on it later. Uh, Jake is going to cer- certainly hit on it, but the offensive line yeah. starts with let's the just cut. Let's cut right to the chase. I mean, the offensive line, I think, carries a lot of the burden of why this game was the way it was. In my opinion, guys, just watching it in real time, I haven't had time to go back and watch it a second time. But in real time, it did seem to me like Stetson had some plays there early. They didn't connect. Drop passes. uh, Kendall Milton's fumble. And like you said, Jake, they left the door open way too long. And I don't care if it's SEC, ACC, Pac-12, whatever. If the number one team's in your house and you start to feel like you might be able to beat them, you're going to be a little bit louder than you normally would be. And I think it got really difficult for Georgia's O-line to continue to hold off that pressure from Mizzou because they were sending everybody. And Georgia had chances to click early on and maybe keep them honest. But because they never had a reason to be honest, all they had to do was keep blitzing Stetson the whole night. Listen, I, I'm going to put the ball completely in Georgia's court when I say what I'm about to say. So I don't want anybody to take this as like I'm making up an excuse, okay? You come out on the first drive and you get just absolutely, you know, schooled up front. Tackle for a loss on a run, a sack. You had a pass that maybe could have been completed, but it just didn't really look like the timing was very good on it. Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint, ball was a little bit behind him, whatever. So that's the first series. And that's when the crowd really starts getting to it. Wes, you hit on a really good point. Number one team in the country is in your house. Defending national champions are in your house. You're going to be fired up, okay? You just are. I mean, there were a lot of people there to watch the number one team in the country play their team. So you get past that. You get to the next drive, and the offensive line puts it together on the first play. They open up a big hole for Kendall Milton. He goes untouched. 30, 35 yards, and then he fumbles at the end of it. And at that point, I mean, you know, what, whatever, you know, you know, door ajar, door mm-hmm. ajar at that point. That thing is wide open. You know, security systems going on. One of those saloon doors. You just yeah, saloon in. doors. The dogs are running out the front door, okay? <laughs> they are getting out. They are running all over the neighborhood, bro. They are gone. And, and your day's ruined, okay? So at that point, that's going on. Then you turn it over again. That turnover leads directly to points. Both turnovers gave it to, gave it to Missouri on a short field. Um, you know, kudos to the defense for scratching and clawing and keeping Missouri out of the end zone because it may have been a much different game there. Um, but, you know, the turnovers. Uh, well, the, know, all se- the second time led to a touchdown. Yeah. The, the second one did. Yeah. So, but, but both of them, both of them led to scores. Both of them led to, you know, to short fields. And it's, I mean, there's just certain things you can't do, you know. And and I don't think, obviously, I think last year's team was better. I think last year's team was more mature. It had better leadership, and it had an identity that it could lean on in that defense. Okay, so so cast that part aside. Last year, 
they didn't have the whole bullseye of defending national champions trying to become a juggernaut program on their back. You know, they didn't have that last year. They've got it this year. They're they're getting a little bit of extra ump from, from some of these teams, and none of that's to excuse the turnovers and, like, the poor execution and, and the stuff we've already talked about. Um, but there's a lot of factors that goes into this, and because of that, I – I'm I'm still not concerned about this Georgia football team. I mean, maybe after a loss will be too late, but I'm just not yeah. that super concerned. I know how good this Georgia team is when it plays well. I believe it's going to play well a lot more often than it's going to play poorly down the stretch because I think it's learning some play poor lessons right now. You're not alone. Glenn Hartley, of course, weighing in. Mizzou had a handful of plays that kept the Tigers in the game and a chance to win. This will be the Dogs' worst game the rest of the season. I hope it is for their sake. But look, we're five games in now, and the truth of the matter is we've seen Georgia play two incredible top-to-bottom start-to-finish games, and now we've seen three that weren't the best and weren't the smoothest. And it almost seemed like, Jake, the double whammy that you bring up of the target on the back is one part of this dynamic. But the other part that's interesting to me is it seemed like Georgia walked in there thinking they were just going to win. And I think Jalen Carter, whatever that little dust-up was before yeah. the game, was uncharacteristic of Georgia teams under Kirby Smart right now. That was a little different. And it's just those little things, those little moments, You know, maybe the O-line not being physical enough. And I think Missouri really did punch Georgia in the mouth. Kirby gave credit to Mizzou, and he wasn't just throwing flowers to throw flowers. They really did come out there and whip them. But they didn't look like they were the team that was going out there to hunt uh, last night anyway. Yeah, and, you know, when, when a guy like Cole Kublik says in the pregame, you know, that uh, something that Georgia needs to watch out for is the defensive front, that that defensive front can be, you know, disruptive, you probably need to listen to him. I mean, I know that there's some filler here and everything like that, but there's SEC players up there. I'll tell you this too, man, and maybe apropos to nothing, I'm sure Georgia fans don't really care to hear this, but, I, you know, I walked down on the field after the game you know, getting down to the tunnel. And, you know, there were a lot of Missouri players down there. Dude, I was blown away standing beside their linebackers and their defensive ends and their their defensive linemen kind of walking beside them. Big dudes, man. Every bit is physically impressive on the hoof as Georgia is. And, and Missouri's always been able to do that, you know, with your Sheldon Richardsons and Michael Sams and mm -hmm. Charles Harris. I mean, they've always had dudes on that defensive line. And, and I didn't think they <laughs> it's did. It's like, where do they get them? Where do these yeah. guys come from? Yeah, I have no idea. They evaluate the hell out of them, though, and they get them. But um, I, I didn't know that going in. I didn't know they still kind of had some of those guys that could do that. Um, and I think, you know, they're probably not the caliber they were in the past, and Georgia played like crap up front. So, it, yeah. it, it was just, you know, you've got a, lot of, you got a lot of mesh points here between what Missouri did and what Georgia did to get you to where you were with 26-22, uh, you know, in that game. No doubt. Well, well, Jake, and, and I'll add on to that. Kirby told us that this defensive line was incredibly good. I mean, mentioned the fact they gave Georgia trouble last year. Um, you yeah. know, so it, it you know, I, I think for the second straight week, I think fans are coming back and saying, Well, you know, Kirby was right. Kirby was, you know, told us this that Kent State was a good football team, better than everybody expected, uh, better than everybody gave him credit for. And, and that turned out to be true. Well, this Missouri defensive line, they had 12 tackles for loss against Auburn the week before playing Georgia. I know that the, the, the Auburn is a team that is in shambles right now and has their own problems, but 
anytime a team gets 12 tackles for loss, they're clearly showing something that is a strength for them. And, you know, uh, that is a strength for them uh, at Missouri. Up front on that defensive line, they gave Georgia trouble. Um, but you know, I, I do think that as much as Missouri gave them trouble, uh, it's a little bit troubling to see uh, this, this group of Georgia offensive linemen that is so incredibly talented. I mean, you've got a five-star over at left tackle, uh, the former number one center in the country, uh, you know, a former top five tackle in the country playing guard uh, and a top 50 player in the country, guys that are in their fourth year with the program with Warren McClendon and Xavier Truss. That group of guys should be better than what they are right now. Um, and, and, you know, give credit to Missouri, but also you, it, it's a red flag for Georgia. Um, you know, the, the offensive line is struggling like this. So how does Georgia fix it? We've obviously seen a lot of fans finger pointing just at Stacy Searles as the O-line coach not getting the job done, but the guys on the field have to get it done as well. And you would think anyway, if you, you go out there and are, are getting blown up physically, you want to be that team that Georgia has traditionally been of just being dominant and pushing and leaning. And really it did happen. I mean, Georgia did open that run game up later on in the game it just took them a, a while to do it and I don't think they'll be able to do that against better deeper teams um, as the season goes on when they face them but luckily for Georgia last night Mizzou very talented maybe at the the two deep but as things go on later and later on throughout the game they just couldn't hang with Georgia but how do the dogs fix it do they need to just go out there and really focus on being the ones that punch First, or is there something schematically, something uh, something else going on that is a bigger problem for this O-line? Well, right now, if I'm looking at the entire season, if I'm looking at 20 quarters of football, I'm seeing three quarters of bad O-line play. Now, has it been inconsistent for a drive here or there, or has there been a bad play or there have been mix-ups? And, and Absolutely. But I'm talking about as far as a sustained negative for the offensive line, Saturday was it for me. Because, guys, listen, I mean, Georgia was – I think Georgia had had given up coming into the game seven tackles for a loss all year long. Maybe it was nine. I can't remember what it was, but it was very, very low. And you saw a lot more of that against Missouri. And, you know, I think a lot of it was Missouri attacking the way they were, not just with the defensive line, but with the linebackers, with the secondary, with stuff, stuff like that. I, I don't know that – I'm not to the point where I'm sitting here saying Georgia's got to fix something. I'm to the point where where it's just I think Georgia has got to kind of flush what happened at Missouri, kind of build off of what they were able to do in the fourth quarter. And I don't give a rat's rear whether it had to do with wearing Missouri down or whether it had to do with an adjustment or whatever, build off of it. Because those guys that were handing you your lunch most of the time in the first three quarters – uh, couldn't do it in the fourth, and you ended up with your three main running backs averaging over six yards a carry. So it wasn't, you know, again, wasn't as bad as you probably thought it was. Um, but, you know, I, I think Georgia can do some things, um, you know, going forward. I think it can get a lot more consistent on the offensive line and not have these prolonged periods of, of poor play, which I really felt like Saturday, the first three quarters, was were the only areas of prolonged poor play from the offensive line. Uh, someone that we know that's really consistent, game in, game out, breaking T. Want to give a shout out to uh, their NIL uh, program they've got going on, highlighting Stetson Bennett, 
those remarkable Georgia tight ends. You already saw Darnell Washington. If you're watching the YouTube stream, what a game he had. About time they really highlight, make him the focal point of the offense. That's when things really started opening up, when they finally got the ball to Bowers and, and Big O. Uh, but check out Breaking Tea. There's a link to their site for some wonderful Georgia merch and apparel in this episode's description. Jake, that fourth quarter that you mentioned, we've been beaten up on the O-line, been beaten up on Georgia's slow start. I said it last night, and still tonight, I am uh, very impressed with how Stetson Bennett remained calm, remained poised, because you could tell from the second to the third quarter. From the first quarter, I think Stetson was on his game. His guys just weren't helping him out. Second and third quarter, though, I really started to see the ghosts start to get to Stetson. He yeah. wasn't as confident in his footwork. He wasn't as confident in where he wanted the ball to go, and that led to some incompletions. But he stayed in the game and was the leader that Georgia needed him to be and made the throws, some big explosive plays to Blaylock, to Bowers, to Bell. Uh, to, uh, uh, who else had one? Kenny, Kenny McIntosh broke one, too. Um, by the way, Kenny McIntosh did play in the game. It was good to see him out there getting a lot of work. But Stetson really, really impressed me last night, and the stat sheet will never show it. But I was—I uh, I think it was one of the sneaky best performances he's had in a Georgia uniform. Yeah, I mean, it was a—I mean, it was obviously the stage wasn't as big, but kind of what he was able to do in the fourth quarter reminded you a little bit of the national championship game. Um, just kind of, he just kind of almost took a deep breath, and you know, Kevin Costner in for love of the game, clear the mechanism, clear that uh, mechanism, you know, yeah, yeah. Just, it, everything just kind of went quiet for him. Uh, I, I'll say this though, I, I really believe, and I said this in the press box at the time. Um, I think that those back-to-back runs from Kenny McIntosh, six yards, twenty-two yards, to start Georgia's first touchdown drive played a big role in calming everybody down because mm-hmm. Kenny goes out there and he just absolutely like Mac trucks a guy to get six yards. And then he pulls through a couple of tackles and goes off balance and makes a man miss and finishes a run for 22 yards. And it's almost at that point, you could kind of see that Georgia defense, you know, kind of, taste a little blood, you know, or smell There's something it. about the run game. You saw it with the Falcons today. If you had the yeah. heart to tune in the run game in football cannot be understated. When someone goes out there and puts their shoulder pads in someone's rib cage, it can ignite the whole team. And that's why from a, like a spiritual standpoint of the team, it's so important for Georgia to stick with it. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And they settled in. I mean, it, they, they hit a play and then they hit another play and, all of a sudden you're sitting there like, oh, okay. You know, they're moving down the field. They score a touchdown. Then you're like, all right, can they get a stop? You know, can – you know, the, the, no longer are they dealing with a touchdown lead anymore. Um, you know, they've they've got to – they've got to kind of – maybe maybe they're going to go in run clock mode a little bit. Um, they didn't. Uh, George ended up getting a break on that hands to the face, even though it was a legit hands to the face. And uh, Georgia gets the ball back. They score again. They go up. And I, at that point, I, I just, like, I, I, I thought it was over at that point because I knew if Missouri had to sit there and drop back and throw the football, it was over. And and you know, almost you know, I was talking to Nolan Smith after the game, and he basically agreed with that. He was like, "Yeah, we kind of felt it at that point too. We didn't really think that they were going to be able to, 
you know, do the drop back passing game and beat us. But I, I credit Kenny McIntosh, those two runs that to start that first touchdown drive, I think kind of, you know, putting something together on Christmas Eve for your kids, you know, you feel that thing click into place. That's what it did for Georgia with those two runs, in my opinion. Let's uh let's talk about the defense. Palmer, you had a great observation on how critical, how important that tackle was by Malachi Starks on that very long Missouri touchdown run in the first half. Jake, was there any kind of uh, reaction to that from the players in Missouri? And and even if there wasn't, uh, let's just take a moment to to highlight that. If you missed the importance and the significance of that play, it was huge. I didn't hear any of the players talk about it. Kirby made sure to mention it, though. And honestly, I wasn't sure who had run the kid down because I was sitting there thinking Georgia just gave up a 63-yard run, and it was so quick that they got that false start that, you know, they were pushed out uh, – not pushed out, but, that you know, they, it, I knew Georgia had a chance to stop them once that false start was there, a much better chance to stop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't even know who had done it, and then Kirby said it in the post game, and I was like, yeah, that's that's a pretty, you know, massive play. So – um, you know, kudos to him. Georgia seems to have a lot of those tackling before they get into the end zone on on big plays against Missouri. Had it happened in 2015, I believe it was. Georgia was won that game nine to six thanks to Kenny Towns uh, tackling a dude that had gotten an interception, tackling him, forced the field That's goal. That's a throwback right nine there. Uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm hesitant to even say what I'm about to say, but watching Starks chase that dude down and the hype and acclaim this guy's had already, it reminded me, and I'm not saying that he reminds me, okay, so don't don't think I'm getting too carried away here, but maybe I am a little bit. It reminded me of when Champ Bailey chased down Ben Watson in that NFL game. That, that was Broncos. that happened the other way around. The, the, that was Ben Watson the other way around, yeah. chasing down Champ Bailey. But it still just showed the heart that this kid has yeah. as, a, as a freshman. And it's it's one of those like moments in a guy's legacy that maybe the the casual fan will will think about, but I'm gonna remember that play. That was huge. And and it's especially impressive because they, they were talking about this as as a marquee play in his career so far because he leads the team. He's tied for the team lead in interceptions. I mean, you know, he made one heck of a play an athletic play uh, against Oregon on that interception. That was, I think it came in at like number two or number one on the ESPN sports center top 10. And now we're talking about a a play like this, where he chases a guy down on a 63 yard run. Um, You know, as I wrote, if you're just looking at the stat sheet, you're not going to understand the importance of that play because you see, Oh, Georgia gave up a 63 yard run. Yes, that is true. But they very easily could have given up a 64-yard touchdown run if it wasn't for Malachi Starks. Sit some uh, quick comments really quick. I think a lot of people are watching the Braves game. I get it. Glenn Hartley emphasizing turnovers with, I believe, that is four exclamation points. Can't have them. Cannot have them. And Mike Free says, aloha, go dogs. I don't know if that means Mike is tuning in from Hawaii, but if you are, uh, good afternoon to you. All right, guys, let's wrap up with some dog stocks going up and down. Uh, I think you guys have some stocks down. And, yeah, that's that's what you, you guys both have stocks going down. Palmer, uh, speaking of the Braves, let's keep it on topic. 
what's going down in your uh, stock index, my man? Yeah, yeah, you, you gave me the perfect segue there. Um, speaking of the Braves, um, looked like Jake was watching them. Uh, I am too. Don't throw Jake under the hey, bus. Hey, and, and listen, I've got listen, a, they're I'm, on, but right now I'm actually doing some research from that play that we were talking about, Malachi Starks. I, I thought I saw something. Right. I'm checking to see if I saw it. All right. I, I've got the Braves on the side screen too, if, if you can't tell in the, the background there. Yeah, um, I see him. <laughs> um, I am – uh, I am stocked down on narco the the trumpet song uh, if if you aren't so cultured to know the name of it um, it is probably the least favorite least liked song in the state of Georgia right now because it was Missouri's third down song they played it every third down uh, and even just watching on the game on television, you got annoyed with it. I can only imagine what it was like there in person. Saw a couple tweets there uh, that, that, that people saying that it felt like the trumpets were still ringing in their ears. Uh, obviously, with with the that that song came to life here. Uh, you know, with that being the Edwin Diaz uh, run-in song. Uh, so Braves fans hating on the Mets right now, trying to clinch that uh, NL East. Um, you know, certainly not. It was. It, it was terrible, man. I, certainly, I certainly not fans of, of Narco there. And uh, Missouri solidified that on Saturday night. I, I listened to the game on the radio, and I turned down the TV broadcast. Uh, nothing personal against anyone on TV. I'm, I'm not one of those guys. Oh, I just can't stand the TV guys. I just trust the radio guys because they cover the team all year. So I, I appreciate their insight a little bit more. But I really think – that Georgia's radio crew had their mic placed right next to the the PA playing that trumpet song because I could hear it louder than I could hear Scott Howard at times. It was out of control. Glenn Hartley with a go break. Listen, it was very loud. And I was, um, you know, not to sound like, hey, the team I cover, you know, had to face this adversity or anything like that. But I was really shocked at how deep, into the play, into the organization of everything. Because, I mean, there would be like 11, 12 seconds left on the play clock, and it would still be blaring. Jake, do you um, remember that Auburn game in 2017 at Auburn? Yeah. They kind of played some they of those games, same too. Thing, yeah. Um, all right, man. Stock up, stock down. What you got? Stop, listen, we've, uh, we've stepped all over it uh already uh one thing i do want to point out though uh malachi starts was the guy obviously who ran down um you know cole schrader on that touchdown thing but i would also like to point out that tyke smith and chris smith were were uh were hauling as well they were they were getting after it and and you know kamari lasseter got bumped off of it by either a missouri blocker or an official like i thought he had a chance to make the play a lot earlier (laughs) Lasseter um, got Lasseter got beat up a couple times. He had a pick, didn't he? Or no, he he Smith had the pick Smith and he had bumped the pick. into Smith. Okay, yeah, he um, but Lasseter was like right there, about to make the play, and just got kind of nudged off of him, running full speed. Uh, but Georgia had a lot of guys trying to make that play. Malachi Starks was the only guy fast enough to do it. All right, so listen, here's what I want to get into on the offensive line. I'm not getting into Stacy Searles because listen. I think the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach and usually just the defensive line coach, uh, sorry, the defensive coordinator, those three guys are the most blameful people that you're going to find. 
Okay. Everything that happens, you're going to blame it on the, as far as coaching goes, you're going to blame it on those guys. The play calling is terrible. The offensive line can't block and we can't tackle nobody. Okay. Motivate them. That's the way it goes. Okay. And I get it. So much of the issues do kind of center around and and fall in those guys' purview. I'm not worried about Stacey Searles right now because I, 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 Listen, Stacey Searles, I think some folks have some weird memories of Stacey Searles, okay? Uh, when Stacey Searles was at Georgia the first time in 2007, that was that was the youngest offensive line I can remember, remember Georgia having, and it was awesome, okay? It took them a little while to gel, took them a little while to get guys in the right spot, but the second half of that 2007 season was about, the, about as well as I've seen Georgia's offensive line play. It got completely ravaged by injuries the following year. Oh. And that was a struggle. Okay. Trenton Sturdivant got hurt. They had a Keontae trip. Wasn't a very good player. Let's don't get in all that. But I'm not worried about Searles. I'm worried about those six guys that we see play regularly. Okay. Broderick Jones, uh, uh, Xavier Trust, Cedric Van Pran, De- um, Tate, uh, Tate Ratledge, Amarius Mims, and Warren McClendon. Because I'm telling you this right now Cedric Van Pran and Warren McClendon aren't playing as good a football as we've seen them play before. Okay? They're just not. Roderick Jones is okay. Um, I'll be honest with you, I think I think Georgia may be getting the most consistent effort and execution right now out of Xavier Trust. Yep. I really believe that. And uh, and maybe Amarius Mims, when Amarius Mims was in the ballgame. Because I'm telling you, Warren McClendon, I don't know what, you know, has kind of, you know, gotten there, but I've just seen him being getting losing battles one-on-one decisively. And, and I'm not going to blame it on a coach for messing him up. I mean, this is a cat that's played offensive line for a long time. He knows the position. He's not being coached to do poor stuff. Georgia evaluates that heavily. I'm not going to blame it on a coach. Some of these guys have gotten to make decisions that, you know, do they, do they want to be the hunted? Or do they want to be, you know, do they want to become the hunters? And I think yeah. Georgia's got the ability to do that. I think by and large, Georgia has done that. But put together three pitiful quarters of O line play again this year, you might lose a ball game. You probably are going to lose a ball game. Yeah, I think so too. That blood on Searles was in the water though. And yeah, been waiting for this game to happen. Hey, he, Wes, he makes really good money. He makes really <laughs> good money to absorb all that. So, um, so I'm going to say stock up, but it's a stock up that is a kind of counter Georgia. But I'm going to say stock up on – is it Fowro for it? How do you pronounce it? Fowro. Fowro Field. Fowro Field. I'm going to say stock up on Fowro Field, at least for Georgia, being a dangerous place to play. People don't think about it as a, a daunting SEC – road trip i know kirby said every game in the sec is difficult i think there are a lot of outsiders that look at this team and look at this environment as not a tough place to play it's not really the sec missouri they ain't really sec paul yeah they're not even really in the southeast all right i get all that and maybe when your team goes to play there it's easy but for georgia let's look back 2012 wasn't a cakewalk they opened up strong against Georgia in that game too, but Georgia steadied it a little bit sooner than this team did in that game to get the win. And then you go to, when was it? The The 2014 game was a shutout, but then 2016 you needed the last-minute throw from Eason to uh, Joystick to win the game. And in 2018, 
that was kind of a scrap. That was a, a game that made Georgia sweat for most of the game. Um, and 2020 was the COVID year and everything was weird about that. But this place is tough to play. It's tougher to play than you think. It's tougher to play than the outside looking in thinks it is. And for whatever reason, it gives Georgia a lot of trouble. So at least in the Georgia well, there's a, there's, West, series, I, I don't want to I don't want to interrupt you hardcore here, Wes. But there's a clear line of delineation. If Georgia kicks off at noon, there, it's usually going to kind of walk. It's going to you know yeah. it's going to kind of run it on on Missouri and and mess them up a little bit. If they kick off at night, which is the the twelve sixteen and this year, then they you know there's there's a lot more competitive. So you know maybe there is a little, little juju there that we don't really understand. And and I, I talked it. about it last night. I, the next time Georgia goes on a true road trip is to Mississippi State. That's a great man. Point. They are rooting for an early kick there. Yeah, I, I would think so because I was there the last time they played there, and I wasn't even wearing any Georgia clothes. I think they could just tell I was not from Mississippi, and they were just cowbelling in my face too so you gotta uh, be that careful game uh, if i'm not mistaken west that game set the sport back several years i have completely forgotten it you know how kirby it was says, like a 17 to 9 game or a 20 to 9 game and chris ralph was three yards in a cloud of dust for dan mullen's little offense there yeah i if we're thinking about the same game if i'm right it was ely and king mm -hmm. joe cox mm -hmm. yeah it was uh, 2010. Yeah. Um, 31 2009. 2010, they played at Mississippi State. Yeah, that was, those yeah. were dark times. You know how Kirby says when that would have been Aaron him, Murray, though. That was Murray as a freshman. 24 yeah. 12. Yeah, we don't have a producer on the show. We have to figure out a lot of things on the fly. <laughs> You know, Kirby says, like, when people ask him about his playing days, he always says, I don't remember that. I don't believe yeah. him for what it's worth. But never. I truly don't remember that. I've uh, I've blocked that one out. So, closing thoughts, guys. I got to ask you, you know, is this this team's identity, this up and down stuff, or do you foresee this Georgia team truly learning from this game and getting better as the season goes on because of it? Well, channeling Palmer Toms, who I thought, you know, eloquently agreed with Joel Klatt on Twitter. Um, for now, yeah, that's that's who Georgia is. Right now, Georgia's the up-and-down team. They're the team that if they come out and play their best ball, you you are in trouble, okay? And if they come out and they, they struggle, you can get them. And I don't care who you are. I mean, you know, maybe not Sanford, maybe not an FCS team, but if you're a decent football team, with some confidence and Georgia comes out and they play, play poorly and they give you the football a few times um, you can get them. But I, I judge a team more on its ceiling than I do its floor, because I think a team, I think it's easier for a team to raise its floor over the course of a ceiling, a season than it is for it to raise its ceiling. And uh, Georgia's got raise as high root. ceiling as any team in the country. They just got to raise that floor. And, uh, and you know, that you do that with consistency, um, and kind of working at it. And I know fans love to, you know, roll their eyes at it, but you got to get better on Monday. You got to get better on Tuesday. Got to chop that wood. Going. Chop it wood. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Jake. I mean, I do think that this team is going to be up and down. Um, you know, I think that this team, um, you know, I, I think that while we're doing, you know, 
dog stocks, um, you know, stock up on the 2021 team because I think fans are really going to appreciate what that team did and the consistency that they played with because this team uh, and, and the leadership that that team had uh, that helped drive that consistency because this year's team, not that they're not as talented, they're a lot younger. They're a lot more inexperienced. They don't, they're still looking for that leadership. I think they found some of it last night. So I do think that they're going to grow from a game like this. Well, if yelling um, at teammates equals leadership, then they got it from pop yelling at Kamari Lasker on the sideline. Well, and, and I don't know that I, I would say it's yelling at teammates as because I, I did note that and said that a lot of people just took to Twitter and said, Oh, you know, look at Georgia. They're, they're split. They're divided. Well, I mean, would you have said that about Nicobe Dean yelling at Channing Tindall during the national championship? Because that 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 was needed. Um, you know, I do think that that is uh, that's a form of leadership. It's not the only form of leadership. Um, and, and I do think Pop is one of the leaders on this team. Um, so I, I do think that Georgia is going to be a little bit up and down this year. I think that's going to be characteristic of a young group, a young team. But I think that, like Jake said, at their ceiling. They're, they are talented enough and their ceiling is high enough that they are that they can do just what that 2021 team did. Um, but they definitely have a much lower floor than that 2021 team did. Well, you don't uh, get to moments and you don't get to pinnacles like that 2021 team did without some struggles. Nicobe Dean had games that weren't that fun before he had an entire season that was really fun. So, some of these guys just had to have to experience that. They got to experience it yesterday. It's just, what do they do with it? Um, thank you all again for tuning in, listening, uh, and commenting with us. And we're going to hang up on that note. Please take advantage of our $1 for one-year premium membership at Dogs HQ if you haven't done that already. It is more than worth it. Um, and please hit subscribe on this YouTube channel if you're watching on YouTube or Hit follow on the podcast if you're one of those audio-only people. I'm one of those people. I get it. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. It really does help. It's uh, not just something people say. It really matters. So uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for tuning in. We will catch you again this Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube as the dogs get ready for a different group of Tigers. Auburn coming to town. And as we've... Said before, Auburn in October still just doesn't feel right to us. But we'll get into that this week. Y'all have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets.
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.